Hello, and welcome to episode 479 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today, Erica Forsythe is back. You know Erica, she's the licensed marriage and family therapist from California. She's been on the show a number of times, and she's here today to answer a question from one of you about something very prevalent with teens living with type 1. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. California residents, if you're looking for a therapist, look no further than ericaforsyth.com. I'd like to remind you that if you're looking for the Diabetes Pro Tip episodes or the Defining Diabetes episodes, they're right here in your podcast player. But you can also find them at juiceboxpodcast.com or diabetesprotip.com. If you're listening in a podcast player, please hit subscribe or follow. Thank you very much. The T1D Exchange is looking for type 1 adults and type 1 caregivers who are U.S. residents to participate in a quick survey that can be completed in just a few moments from your computer or phone. This survey is 100% anonymous, completely HIPAA compliant, and does not require you to ever see a doctor or go to a remote site. Why you say would a survey require that? Well, because this data is actually helping people living with type 1 diabetes. And I wouldn't want you to get confused and think, oh, this is a trial. I might have to go see a doctor. Mm, no, no. You can actually help people with type 1 without being in a trial and without visiting a physician. You just go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Click on join our registry now and then simply complete the survey. Once you've done that, your information, which again is completely anonymous, will be used to help other people living with type 1 diabetes, and it supports the podcast. Past participants like you have helped to bring increased coverage for test strips, Medicare coverage for CGMs, and have brought changes in the ADA guidelines for pediatric A1C goals. Erica, I have a question here from Erin. And she said she's trying to give her preteen son some freedom by not micromanaging everything. And he is very capable of calculating his carbs and doses, uh, knowing what to do, etc. But he gets lazy about it. It feels wrong to punish him. But if there's no consequences, then there seems like there's no incentive for him to try. Where's the line between keeping preteens accountable and not making them feel punished for having diabetes? Great, great question. Um, and obviously, this teens and type one is it's a challenging season. Um, and I know in my, in my professional work, I do work with a lot of teens and and families who are kind of battling this this dynamic between the want, the parents wanting to offer and give some independence, um, and teens either asking for it um, or or sometimes as in this question, maybe not following through the way they said they were going to. Um, and it's it's all around challenging 
um, excruciating experience sometimes for some families. And I do want to offer hope that it, it's it's a season, right? It might, it's not going to last forever, but I know when you're in it, it can be feeling, it feels really overwhelming and stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, I would initially in response to this question, I think trying to find ways to incentivize instead of punish, um, if, if that works, and maybe you've already tried that in your family, but I would sit down with, with your teen and talk about, okay, how, how can we either incentivize or offer rewards? I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily structure it around food or, um, (laughs) which could be complicated in and of itself, but maybe, maybe the child, the teen wants to, have a sleepover or the teen wants to learn how to drive, get it, get their permit or get their license, mm-hmm. or maybe work towards earning, um, a, you know, whether it's some kind of reward a video game. Um, and so maybe building in incentives for, okay, if you keep your, your blood sugars in range, um, for this percentage of a time this week, we are going to do X. And if you do it again next week, you're going to get Y. Something that, but sitting down with them and asking for their participation engagement in that, this is a kind of like a, a behavior chart, so to speak, but to incentivize instead of punish. Because I think if that cycle begins where the teen is feeling like, okay, I already feel punished enough for even having type one, which can be a thought. Um, then how come and now I'm I'm being punished for not taking care of something I don't even want to have. Yeah. And and so if that is the case, I would really get allow the child to allow your teen to talk about that too, if you if they're open to it. Um so that's just one one thought here in terms of instead of punishing, trying incentivizing. Um I will I'll pause there. I can keep going. Well I have a question. Have I ever told you about okay. the chainsaw? About what? The chainsaw. No. Okay. I just said chainsaw because you would have known if I said it. So okay. <laughs> I, I have an episode that I don't believe is out yet. And I know that sounds funny that I'm not certain if it's out yet or not. But I'm a one-man show over here. Okay. So I'm a little dizzy. <laughs> um, a woman has a, a teenage son who really you know, wants to graduate from high school and start a business cutting down trees. And the kid wants a chainsaw. Chainsaw is kind of expensive. And while we're talking, she also brings up that she can't get him to pre-bolus. And I said, and this is important to remember when you hear me talk, that I have no training whatsoever. Uh, But what I said was, well, listen, let me ask you a question. He'll never hear this. Are you going to get him the chainsaw? And she goes, yeah. And I said, okay. I said, why don't you just give him a dollar every time he pre-boluses and tell him, look, I know that sounds like it might be forever, but it's really not. If this saw is $400, you can pre-bolus three times a day. In 30 days, you know, you could be a quarter of the way to your chainsaw and the money will pile up quicker and I'll pay you to pre, I'll pay you to pre-bolus a a snack. Like you might end up pre-bolusing seven times a day. And, and I said, just, I'm like, you're going to spend the money anyway. And, And that became important to me because she didn't have a ton of money. You know what I mean? She couldn't just go like mm-hmm. leaving a golden trail of dollar bills around the house for the kid. I said, if you, it's money you're going to spend anyway, you know what I mean? Like I was mm-hmm, like, let's mm-hmm. repurpose that for this. And and I said, and to me, that's, I mean, the kid doesn't want anything more than that in the whole world, right? And she goes, yeah. I said, so if you have to trick a 16-year-old into learning to pre-bolus, then who cares? Because after you get to that, the cost of the chainsaw, 
he really will have done it long enough for it to form a habit, I would think. Did I give that yes. person bad advice or did I do okay? No, I, I think it's great. And I think what's important is the carrot that you're dangling has to be something that they are longing for. Yeah. It's not just like, can I go to the movies or whatever? Like, I think it has, or unless you want to start small, you know, some people do want to have smaller incentives and they, they get that kind of immediate gratification, which is important mm-hmm. in, the, in the teenage years too. Like they want to know that what they're doing, they're going to be rewarded for or else what's the point. So some, some teens can hold out and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to save and save and save, and I'm going to be incentivized by um, this, this chainsaw. I love it. Um, So really sitting down with your teen and saying, look, what is something, and you probably already, you may even know as the parent at that point, what is it that they are really longing for? And it could be something um, that they, I'd say like, what is something you're really wanting, but you think you're never going to be able to get or afford or ever maintain like something that's really thrilling yeah. too could be helpful. Well, yeah. Yeah. Every once in a while, you, you got to stop and give the horse some of the carrot. You can't just expect it to yeah. walk forever. Yeah. Yeah, right. And <laughs> I have to be honest, I see a lot of parenting like this. Like you're just constantly mentioning things that are going to happen in the future. Even if you just set them up as psychological payoffs, like, you know, if you do this, this is going to happen. That needs to happen then, you, you know, like, because you know, I have to like just to kind of divert for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, my son's played baseball like his whole life. Like he really has. And since he was I, three years old, right, right as he was turning four, he started playing organized baseball. And he still plays now and he's 21, organized. And I used to have this horrible feeling while I was little that a big, a big moment never came to him. He was never up in a big moment. He was never Mm -hmm. like, and when he was 11, he caught the last ball of a championship game. And I'm telling you, (laughs) there was a bigger smile on his face than I'd ever seen. And it had something to do with the fact that that game felt more important, that it had some, you know, gravitas attached to it, and that Mm -hmm. he felt like he's the one that ended that. And so sometimes you got to get paid back. Like he he played just as well in all the games before that, but he never got the feeling that he got out of that one scenario. And so you got to get that feeling once in a while or the incentive to keep trying is harder and harder to cultivate, I think. Right. Yeah. Right, because as as a teen particularly, you're not thinking about the future. You're not saying, "Oh, well, if I don't pre-bolus now, yeah, I'm going to have a high after I eat." Yeah. But I'm not thinking about, oh, maybe I'll have long-term complications when I'm 40 or 30, right. whatever. Oh, if their brains um, worked that way, there wouldn't be any teen pregnancy. Because <laughs> right. as an adult, you know how scared you are when you think you're going to get somebody pregnant. <laughs> but no one right. no one feels that way when they're 17 for some reason. Uh, right. yeah, 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 it's their yeah, brains aren't in that space. It's impulsive yeah. and, and you know instant gratification. Um, yeah, and I think they're – yes, so – allowing them to receive some sort of reward, whatever that is, if you're working towards that, if they're needing to incentivize, I think it's important yeah. to do that. Right. Yes. Well, I am glad yeah. that I did Great. not lead that person astray. Um, and no, I, no, it's good. Yeah, Because <laughs> there are sometimes I'm just like, I, I get done sometimes like I say a lot of stuff. I wonder if it's all okay. <laughs> but no, I felt really comfortable about that. And it was one of those things. Actually, that was one of those great episodes where we were just talking a, through a thing. 
Like she didn't have mm-hmm. any reason to come on. She was having like some sort of like a, a thing. And I was like, come on and we'll just talk about it. Like two people on the phone together and let's see what we can come up with, you know? Um, okay. So I have a, a question here from Bridget. It says, uh, I'd like to understand how to foster a growing independence in a teenager while still keeping a safety net. And I imagine as you do, I guess the safety net she means is a health net of safety, not getting too low or too high or that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So I think it's important to understand, I think it's a great and very common question as well, um, that what what teens are going through, and, and we might have all of a general idea that, you know, they want to be independent, they feel like they're, they know everything, they know what's best for them. Um, one analogy that I've read in a book years ago and recently came across from a, a book called The Yardsticks is it talks about the analogy of the for particularly like the 12, 13, 14 year old mm-hmm. and the significance of their room in the house. Like it becomes, if they don't have their own room yet, or if they do have their own room, their own personal bedroom becomes very significant that they get to decorate. They get to become kind of the, the king or queen, so to speak of their, of their territory. Um, but the, it's significant to think about that their bedroom, it's still a part of the house right? So they're saying, I'm here, but I'm separate. And or I'm here, but look who I am now. So they're able to kind of exercise some authority, control, independence over who they are. And they they get to kind of make all of those choices, right? Yeah. But with that, then as a parent, you get to have these conversations with your teen saying, okay, if you are if you are kind of owning your territory of your bedroom, I'm going to be handing over some responsibility. I'm not going to be coming in there and cleaning up your room or doing your laundry. So with that sense, along with their increase in freedom and their need for freedom in these years, also comes the responsibility. And I think that is the struggle, right? As a teen, as they're trying to create their own identity is how do I, how do I balance? This is the teen thinking or not thinking, but acting um, well all the time. How do I balance this freedom and responsibility? Um, and also just kind of thinking through, and I'll apply this to type one in a, in a second here, that a parent, they, are, they shouldn't be afraid to knock on the child's door, right? The bedroom door, mm-hmm. but it should be allowed. And so you're kind of shifting slightly this locus of control, right? If the bedroom is off limits, the parent is knocking and the child's going to let them in, um, but you're not relinquishing parental total parental authority, but you're shifting that locus of control. Um, and ultimately, teens, they want to talk to their parents. They really do. And parents want to talk to their teens, but they really don't know how. And so I think going back before addressing the type one, I think it might be really significant for for you as the parent and caregiver to understand what it is they are actually going through as a teen to not relinquish parental authority, but to shift some of that control over to them. And then there, you might need to initiate that conversation. And I think remembering that as teens, they just want to be heard. Mm -hmm. And I would strongly suggest that parents say little and listen a lot. And if you do need help in that department of just kind of going back to the basics of reestablishing a relationship with your teenager. A really excellent book um, is by Adele Faber and Elaine Moslish. The book is titled How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. Um, Again, that's by Faber and Moslish. So 
that if if you are finding that you are having this battle with your teen around type one, I would maybe take a step back first as the parent and say, okay, how can I enter my child's world through their lens as a teenager? Um, so that, that's just kind of my first, my first thought. Can I I add that? I can pause. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I want to add there that I think I found for myself, I guess I should say Mm -hmm. that my recollection of my young life is probably not a hundred percent reminiscent of what it was actually like or what I was thinking back then. So when your kid's going through a thing, it's so easy to think like, Oh, I remember this. Like, but you probably don't, you, you probably don't really remember what it was like to be that age and to have those feelings. Um, it's funny. You brought it up as an example about the room because when COVID started and I started noticing Kelly and I both started noticing Arden going a little stir crazy. Mm-hmm. Arden said, I want to, you know, I was thinking I'd like to redo my room. And there's that first mm-hmm. reaction where you're like, eh, there's nothing wrong with the room you have now. And I would like to keep the money I have in my pocket, if you don't mind, <laughs> you, you know, but, but, yeah. but fair enough. She's older now and she wanted to redo it. <clears throat> and we, we let her repaint. We let her replace her bed. And mm-hmm. um, she wanted like a table with chairs and she set it up. It's very much like a studio apartment now and not like a kid's bedroom. She's yes. you know, how, how old is she? She's right going to be 17 this summer. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's right. She's yeah. got a little round table with four chairs around mm-hmm. it and a lamp, which she said, when my friends are over and we eat, we can eat around this table. And there, it's easy as an adult to listen to that and go, I bought a table. It's downstairs. Right. right. <laughs> you it's know? all the dining room. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But we were like, okay. And she said, and uh, the bed takes up too much space. I'm going to get a smaller bed. And your first thought is, well, you have like a double bed. You mm-hmm. want to go to a single and wouldn't that be less comfortable? But that's not what she cared about. What she cared about was making more space. Mm-hmm. She got rid of her dressers and put a system inside of her, her closet and moved all of her clothes into her closet. And and she made it exactly the way she wanted it. If I showed you Arden's room, you'd say it doesn't look anything like any kid's bedroom that you've ever seen. And she loves it. And I, the way I can tell is that every couple of months when I'm in there, she'll make, she'll just, she'll comment a little bit, ask me a question. Do you still like the color I picked? I said, I do. It's great. How do you like it? She's mm-hmm. like, it's good. I was like, okay. Do you still like that I took up the carpet? I said, I, I think it's nice. It's easier to clean. What about you? She mm-hmm. says, oh, I hear the noise from downstairs a little more now. And, and just to let her have that experience, it, it was a really big deal. And, you know, bonus, it took months. So it kept yeah. her, right? It kept her focused <laughs> on something. She was like, uh-huh. she was like the project manager of her room redesign, you know. And what yes. did it end up costing us in the end? Not very much, you, you know. It was a good experience, right? And and how much, you know, like we were talking about earlier, like authority and, and agency that she feel over her life of being able to do that. Like what, in, you know, it's such, such an excellent example of finding those opportunities to relinquish control. I mean, within, right. But then you probably had a budget and you had some probably constraints around that. We did. We did. But you said, go, go for it. Yep. I said within this amount Uh, of money, you can do whatever you want. Right. 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 Uh, Also what it led to then was I used to separate her clothing. Like I don't fold the kids clothes, but I'll lay them in like flat piles so they don't get wrinkled and give them to them. But Arden's would sit in my room. And then once she had more space in her room, I was like, Oh, well, it can sit in her room now. So I now I take it and I put it in this spot. 
And I've noticed her being more diligent about putting her clothes away. And it didn't happen all at once. It took a lot of time for her to go, okay, I guess no one's going to put this away. It's on me. Then she's got to find time in her schedule. Then she's got to find the energy to actually do it. And then she's got to have to care about it enough to do it. That took mm-hmm. months. And I I think very fervently about parenting that my job is really to repeat the same thing over and over again without sounding annoyed until somebody figures it out. And mm-hmm. and that's sort of how I saw this thing. Like I didn't I didn't say, hey, look, you're now in charge of this. Take care of it. You know, do it right now. And if you don't do it the first time, I'm going to yell and scream at you. I just kept piling the clothes up. And one day I think the pile fell over and she's like, oh, shit, I guess I got to do this. And, you right. know, and that's how it went. Well, and that's, that is like such the great example of she was going through that struggle of like, okay, I've got increased freedom in some areas, but now I've got this responsibility of putting my laundry away. So she kind of went through that struggle until it became like, okay, it's bothering me. I'm going to show some responsibility and put it away of my own things. Right. Yeah. It is unreasonable to expect that because you tell somebody to do something, they're suddenly going to shift everything in their brain that tells them what to do and just start doing it. It doesn't, you know. Things don't work that way, I don't think. Right. And I think then applying that to the type one, we wherein lies the fear factor of, oh my gosh, okay, my, my teen wants this independence, wants the freedom in, in management uh, and making choices and, you know, all of it. But, but. <laughs> they're, but yeah. they're going through this struggle, this identity struggle of, they don't quite have full responsibility, um, and yet they're wanting the freedom, and, right? And, and so, they, I'm, mm-hmm. I was going to say, and when they do it wrong, it's not a pile of clothes falling over; it's a blood sugar yes. going to fifty-five or three hundred and fifty-five. And and how do you manage the the slow necessity of transition with the immediate need of safety and health? Just going to jump in here real quickly and remind you of three things. First thing, t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. If you have type one or you're the caregiver of someone who who has type one and you live in the United States, this is something you can do in just a few minutes that will immeasurably help other people living with type one diabetes. You can do it from your phone, from your tablet, from your computer, from your sofa. You don't even have to get up. Go take the quick survey. The information that you leave behind will be anonymous, HIPAA compliant, and help a lot of people living with type 1 diabetes. T1DExchange.org forward slash juice box. I also want to remind you that if you're looking for the Diabetes Pro Tip episodes, they begin at episode 210 in your podcast player. You can also find them at juiceboxpodcast.com or at diabetesprotip.com. At DiabetesProTip.com, you'll also find the Defining Diabetes series. And of course, Erica Forsyth. Erica is available to California residents at EricaForsyth.com. Links in the show notes, links at JuiceBoxPodcast.com. Now let's get back to Erica. The slow necessity of transition with the immediate need of safety and health there. Yeah. Therein lies the struggle for the parent child parent teen relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Where you as the parent, as the caregiver are 
fearful. So you you see the the numbers going up or down, and then the next thought is fear, and you want to you know you want to protect your child as a caregiver. You want to do everything you can to protect your child, no matter what age. Yeah. Um, and I think going back to okay, is this a, is this a one off example? Is has my teen demonstrated? kind of general patterns of independence. I think I think just kind of like with anything, you need to let them earn your trust. And so maybe it's okay, you know, Bobby is saying as a 14-year-old or whatever age, but around 14, he's saying he wants to be able to look at his numbers and free bolus without consultation, right? Like that's what they ultimately they want to be able to make decisions independently. Right. So you say, okay, we are uh, we are going to give you this opportunity for us to earn trust in you that you can do this. Mm-hmm. And so you try it for, you start with whatever, and, and you can chart it out too. I, I've done this with families. We're like, okay, we're going to chart this out. You're going to do it on Monday afternoon. And then we're going to do Wednesday afternoon. And then we're going to increase kind of the frequent, the time, the length of time and the frequency to say, okay, you did a great job. Knowing that just like as caregivers, there are going to be, you know, mishaps. So I think offering them these opportunities to demonstrate that they can do it. So then you're saying, Hey, I'm, I want to, I want you help me trust you, right? Like you need to earn the trust, just like with anything, like with driving, taking mm-hmm. other, you know, kind of adult like decisions. Um, but then and so building in a plan with them. Yeah. And, and having their input, I think is always significant of like, what do you think feels fair? Should we let you make decisions for all day on Monday or should it just be for dinner? What do you um, think about when mm-hmm. to step in? Because so I'm a long, yeah. I'm a long range guy. Like I'm, I'm definitely one of those people. Like if I'm going to rob a bank, I'm not going to do it for five years and I'm really going to get it right. <laughs> and so, you know, during this pandemic thing, there's been times where Arden's in her room, you know, doing classes in the morning and I'm in here working and um, once in a while, I'll see her, she walks by, doesn't say anything. I see her go downstairs. She comes back up with an armful of food. And I look at her and I go, hey. And she goes, I got it. And she doesn't got it. Like, I know she thinks she does, but she'll never pre us enough, right? Because she's 16. Mm-hmm. And so I go, okay. And then she goes. And I think of that as, like, I'm building trust. She knows I trust her. She'll take care of it. But then there's a moment where if it doesn't go well, bolus-wise, I kind of roll up to her and I go, hey, that bolus was pretty good. I said, I think it just maybe wasn't enough here. We're going to have to add a little more now. No big deal. Mm This will be fine. And I let it go and I let it go and I let it go. And I've been doing that for six or eight months now. And Mm -hmm. um, with the long range goal of her understanding, oh, I am trying, but it's not quite working, but it doesn't seem to be too bad. And then it kind of culminated into this morning where she wanted cinnamon toast crunch where we didn't have time to pre-bolus. And I mean, it's now been an hour since I told you that. So it's been so long ago that I told you about this in a different episode of the podcast, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and and Arden's blood sugar right now, if I told you that she had Cinnamon Toast Crunch without more than a seven-minute pre-bolus, and that I did not measure the milk or the cereal, what would you guess her blood sugar is right now? That you didn't, that you didn't measure, that she did? No, nobody measured it. It just got poured into a bowl. And uh-huh. then poured into the bowl. If you had to guess in most situations, what do you think her blood sugar would be an hour later? Oh, I would probably say in the twos, 200s, 300s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's 118. So brilliant. Yeah. But I, that, but 
I wanted her to see that there was a way to bolus something that she thought of as vicious on her blood sugar without mm-hmm. such a pre-bolus. So, so now in my mind, she's got a connection. She knows she pre-boluses, but not enough when she's on her own and that it needs yeah. to be fixed. But today she gets to see no pre-bolus that doesn't need to get fixed. I just want her to see, wow, there's a lot of possibility in here. Maybe this isn't as strict as I think it is. And maybe this old man knows something he should be telling me that I maybe should be listening to. Like, And to me, that's a long-term plan. Because I could have walked up to her and told her that, but I don't know what good that's going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway so like kind of yeah so teaching you're 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 teaching you're modeling and you're but you're giving her opportunities to see different variables too right i think that's right. helpful like you can within reason and if you're able to manage eat quickly or you know not waiting for whatever your pre-bolus designated time is um and then and then she gets to gain that independence and over I, time, and you, and you guys have a great relationship too of, of yeah. trust. It sounds like, you know. And I haven't had to give away any of her long-term health to accomplish this. Her A one still, her A one C is still in the fives, so mm-hmm. it's not, it's not. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing that I see people say that always like turns the screw in my heart the wrong way. It's that, um, well, they want to take over now, so okay, their A one C is going to go from six to nine. But at least they're figuring out. I'm like, I don't. That doesn't seem like a good idea to me. Um, and mm-hmm. and there's got and that that me seeing other people do that made me think long and hard about like how are we going to do this transition without that happening? And I don't know that I'm going to be successful yet. But I'm just these are the steps I've taken so far. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, and our relationship is good. I mean, but she's still 17. Like she's still you know, says horrible things to me and treats me like I'm a moron, uh, you know, sometimes. (laughs) And, uh, and I still like, you know, go off the handle sometimes. And I'm like, Oh my God, like, you know, like everything seems irritating. Um, I'm a person too. Um, and I didn't exactly grow up. Well, if you're listening to this podcast into this many episodes, you realize I'm almost feral. Like it's, it's weird that I ended up even okay. Um, you know, so, (laughs) so, uh, you know, anyway, that, that's pretty much it. I, I think that's, Smart. Well, I think I think you were asked. You had brought up, you know, when when do you intervene, right? So to prevent either the increase, you know, the raise in your A one C, or to prevent, you know, the long term complications. Um, I think going back to always asking, inviting your teen into the conversation of like, okay, on Wednesday we are going to allow you, or you know, we're going to give you this opportunity to earn our trust. Now what? Together, let's determine what number am I going to intervene? Okay? Am I going to intervene? Yeah. And and getting to and you write it down and you have that agreement with your team to say, okay, is it going to be 150 with the arrows, you know, diagonally? Or is it going to be whatever it is, yeah, right? Like it'd be it. very clear if you're on a CGM. Is it, you is know, it an hour into it? With, is, is it an hour? Yeah, yeah. the time, the arrow position and right. the number. Yep. And then you say, okay, and I'm going to text. And then what, are, and then really clearly uh, inviting the team say, okay, what is our text message going to be like if they're at, at school? And one thing is interesting that I have heard that you kind of noted during COVID teens have been, have done a little bit better. And this is not obviously across the board, but from what I've heard at home, because then you can just kind of, you can all manage it together but you also don't have that pure factor. And so if you are finding as your teens are re-entering into school and you know so-called normal life, 
and you're seeing maybe a little bit more of this either defiance or desire to be independent or forgetting to bolus. Um, number one, that's that's just normal. Um, and number two, kind of inviting your team back into that conversation of like, okay, this is how we were doing during COVID. Um, I know it's not always going to be this way, but um, how can we how can we kind of reestablish what was happening at home right. um, and create kind of those expectations and boundaries? But it is it is a, a constant challenge. Um, and while I don't have, I have two little girls. They don't have teens yet, but I worked with a lot of teens professionally, and I know what I was like as a teen with <laughs> type one, um, and it wasn't always pretty. Um, and so I just I. Yeah. I cheerlead you all and support you um, and just remembering that it's not going to last forever. That is important too. It is hard when you're younger because everything, I mean, as a younger parent, like everything feels like now is forever and it yes. it really isn't like I, you know, I'm almost 50 and I, I have a 21 year old son and I'm, I guess I might be young to have a 21 year old a little bit, but I, you know, you, you look back and you're like, Oh, I remember being so worried about that and it didn't end up mattering, mm-hmm. but it did matter mm-hmm. in the moment. It just, it doesn't matter now. Like there's a, there's a now it, there's micro and macro to everything. And there's, there's what's important now and what later you'll be like, Oh, I guess not. And I said, it wasn't really important. I can't believe I spent so much time on that. Do you have enough time to yes. talk about kids burning out on technology in this episode or do you have to go? Yes. Yes. No, we can. And I, before we transition into that, mm-hmm. I was just going to, I was thinking, I just listened to the uh, episode of the three girls in the Cayman Islands, which was just fabulous. Yeah. And it made me think of, you know, this, here they are, they could be feeling isolated on an island as an, as a type one, but yet they have each other. And the significance of, for your teen, if they really are struggling with that, you know, why me? I feel so isolated. I just want to be like my friends. Um, If they are open to it, you know, I do encourage you to kind of either outreach through your, your endo or whatever your treatment team is to see if you can connect your teen with other teens, whether, and now with, you know, every, everyone's very comfortable uh, with remote and virtual correspondence. Um, to integrate that into your teen's life, whether it's just a phone call, a Zoom, a FaceTime, whatever it is, just to kind of decrease that sense of of isolation and like, and I don't feel normal type feeling, right? Yeah. Um, and I want to be like my parents. So just, that was just my last Well, thought, wasn't but. it interesting to see the three of them? They, you know, you hear kids like, I just want to be like my friends. There's these three girls living on this island with not that many people and they are just like their friends. Even, I, even though they just, have it's so one. beautiful yeah yeah, yeah 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 wasn't it great too that they were too young to feel trapped like when i was like yeah. how, how would you get away yeah. like and, and then i like i ramped it up i was like if godzilla came how would you get away and they're like i right. don't know like they don't even think of it as that way me as an adult i'm like you are trapped on a tiny rock in the middle of the ocean you're gonna die right, <laughs> right. but they didn't see it that way they were really lovely actually yes yeah i enjoyed that a lot uh, okay, so you know Heather's like, how? So, yeah, she says, how do you help your child work through burnout? She says she has a nine-year-old who was diagnosed just over a year ago. Um, they're using you know CGM and pump for almost a year, but she feels like they've hit the wall with technology. Mm-hmm. I hear people say this a lot. I have to admit, I don't know that I understand it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and because then they say, I think we might need to take a break, and even though as parents we don't want to. 
Yes, yes. I'm always weirded out by that. Like, so I, I'm a bad person to ask because I really have a, I really have a 1978 Northeast version of an answer for this, which is kids don't get to make medical decisions in my house. Right, right, right. (laughs) But um, yeah, because I'm always like, what else are you going to put the 14 year old in charge of? Paying the mortgage? Like, you know, they're 14. But right. But what's the rest of it that I don't that I don't think about? Well. I well, two thoughts. Yeah. For number one, personally, um, I have felt that way. Um, I actually was on. Um, I did what we used to call just shots, but now it's you know MDI. Yeah. I gave myself shots and 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 took my blood sugar finger pricks for the, the kind of first third of my so-called diabetes career, mm-hmm. and then I'm, I transitioned to a pump in college, and again. I'm not giving medical advice. You want to do this with consulting. You know, if you ever decide to do this, consult with your doctor first. But I remember feeling like I just wanted to take the pump off. And I, if I did that on, and I would say, oh, I'm going to take the pump off for a week and I'm going to go back to injections. And I, and I did consult with my doctor and they told me how to do it, giving, you know, do the Lantus this amount and do this. You know, I was taking, I think regular at the time. Um, and I didn't even last a week because it was so irritating to like have to be constantly giving myself injections Mm. and the same. And so I I probably put the pump back on within the next day or two because I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of irritated by having my pump because really it's just like, it's the thing that's on your body that can get annoying and I get it. And so you feel like mentally, if I remove this pump, I'm not going to have to be thinking about it. Maybe my type one as much. But then, then you're having to constantly go back to what you used to be doing, and it's it's it's, God, it's irritating too. And I I had this experience with the Dex or the CGM. Mm-hmm. I have a Dexcom, and I I don't know when this was, but I think I think it, my time had lapsed. It was ten days. I was going to remove it. I'm like, you know what? Um, I just I kind of want to have a break mentally from having it on wherever it was on my body, and I'm going to do finger pricks. And I did not last through a full twenty four hours. So I'm like, what am I thinking? Like, I don't know. I'm so used to knowing my trends and where I am. And now I'm having to finger prick, you know, and I would do it 10 or 15 times a day. Like pretty, it's a lot. Right. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to get this CGM back on. And so I don't know, again, Can only I- do this with the, with the support of your doctor, but it might be worth trying because then your child might wonder like, oh my gosh, it's so much easier having the my pump or cgm on me anyway that's my first thought sorry go ahead (laughs) no is there any correlation i'm glad you had a a personal experience with it because it makes it so much more real but is there any correlation to you know when you see somebody break up with somebody they're like oh this guy's my problem and then three days later you're like oh it turns out he wasn't why i was upset now i miss him (laughs) and and, you you know like is there any of that like is that tra- that's called transference in the business right like where you are yes. mad about one yes. something you put it on something else yep every mm-hmm. married guy right now listening is laughing their ass off they're like oh is that what that's called <laughs> that's what that's called when it happens to me is it um but but yeah no like yes. that that idea of like um it's just like i'm irritated and i'm aware of this this must be my problem and ma- and i just i'm so thrilled that that's what you said because yeah go ahead break up with me and i'll i'll wait over here 
uh, for you to realize maybe that wasn't a good idea. Like maybe your pump is just sitting in a drawer going, she'll be back. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. She, let's just count down. Yeah. Right? I'll take a break. Um, she'll be back soon. Don't you worry. Uh, she doesn't like it. Uh, that makes so much sense to me. So don't fight it. I, I mean, that would be my suggestion. And because okay. I think there is something too, though. Yes, it is the like, okay, I'm frustrated with like, it's, it's can be annoying having type one, right? Like you're having to think about it all the time. Yeah. And then you have this visual reminder and it can get caught on things and all, you know, all the, and it can fall off and that can be frustrating. But I think ultimately, once you take a break from all of the incredible technology that we do have, and you go back to, you know, the injections and the finger pricks, you kind of realize, wow, I still have type one and doing all of this is, is more frustrating and irritating than actually just having the pump on or the CGM on. Right. Um, but, it, but then it's kind of a nice thing because then you're like, oh, I'm so grateful for this. The thing yeah. that I couldn't wait to rip off, I go back and say, oh, I'm so grateful for this CGM. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of this beautiful process and allowing that to happen, I think, is okay. Um, given, you know, you're, you're, oh, no. if you feel, oh, you no. feel safe doing it, right? Well, yeah, yeah. When one day Kelly kicks me out. Right. I know that like a month or two later, she's going to be walking around as like dust bunnies collect around her feet and she'll go, oh, I didn't know he was taking care of that. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Right. Right. She'll be like, oh, yeah, I wonder yeah. what Elsie was doing. I have to tell her if she's ever listens to this. Where do you find out all the stuff I do that you don't have to do? Yeah. You, you know, like it's. um, <laughs> right, and, right. And I do think that about the technology as well. And you made me mm -hmm. think a little bit about I know we're wrapping up, but you made me think a little bit about people who have other medical issues where they can't get away from their technology ever. And mm -hmm. it, it made me realize how kind of lucky you are to have diabetes, that there is an alternative treatment method where you could at least experience it without. And by the way, for people who don't use the tech, who are doing fine, I think that's terrific. This is just... Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is for people who... I, this was specifically the idea about burnout, about technology, about like, oh, I have to get away from this or it's bothering me. Um but maybe it is just a reminder of the fact that you have diabetes and you're just going to find a different reminder when those are gone and make your maintenance more, you know, um, heavier or, or yes. cumbersome somehow. Um, yes, yes. And you said, did you say, I'm sorry, did you have another thing that you wanted to say about that? Did I cut you off in the middle of getting a number um, two? No, I think, okay. um, yeah, I think that that was kind of the gist of it. Okay. And, and, and allowing allowing your child to be angry at the technology is okay because ultimately we know we probably are just angry and, and frustrated and sad about having the illness. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's easier to be angry at, at the things that we need to take care of ourselves and to say, gosh, you know what, allowing, allowing for those emotions um, and giving your child space to, to, maybe they're not verbalizing it, but they're saying it by like, please rip this thing off of me. Right it's that's okay um and, and just and just to kind of give space to that yeah. yeah and they'll likely get back to it because yes because I think, you're gonna I think so yeah because you realize that that the anger doesn't go away and then you, you need to then that's a new thing to address but so right right right, right. then that you allow that you know whether it's through your conversation with your parents or or a therapist or whomever your support group yeah let that come out yeah and it it i'll tell you it exists and i think we'll probably answer this question another time when we record but it exists at ages that you don't expect because there was a time when arden was maybe five or six 
where she told me just out of the blue, and I would have told you that Arden does great with diabetes. I don't see her thinking about it too much. Like all the, you know, when people are like, kids are so brave. I always think like, they're not really brave. They just don't have another choice. You know, like there's a difference Mm -hmm. between bravery and not having a choice. Bravery is, you know, you're across the street and a car blows up and you go pull somebody out of it, even though there are other people there helping and, yeah, and mm-hmm. not having a choice is you're in the car and you need to get out anyway. You, you know, like that. There's there's right, a difference right. there. And so, um, she says to me, we have a friend who has a child who's, um, uh, I don't even know what the the correct term is, but has some uh, some mental deficiency that that impacts a child's life. And mm-hmm. she said, I'd rather be him than me. Mm. And she was like six or seven. And I was like, why? And she goes, because I can die from this. He's not going to die from that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, I did not know that my seven-year-old had the that grasp of all this. And so yes. it, and so it's easy to say kids don't understand deeper things, but I think they do. And I think they're good at hiding it. And I think you could end up seeing that as bravery. So just because they seem brave right. doesn't mean they don't need support and that they don't have deep understandings of the situation that they're in. Is how I feel. Right. Yes. And we often say, you know, that the children are resilient. And we've been talking a lot about that right through COVID and that they yeah. are going to transition and be okay. But underneath, yes, they are resilient and they can persevere, but they still can have that that sadness underneath the right. resilience. And that's that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Just because your eight year old yeah. doesn't turn to heroin doesn't mean they're not under pressure. But it just <laughs> seriously, because that's what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Right. Kids right. are resilient because they don't have another choice and you're in charge of their life and, and they're stuck in a room. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're not mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. you if you let an eight year old out on the street and put too much pressure on it, it I can't believe I said it, him or her. It, it was yeah. terrible. <laughs> um, they'll fall apart just like a forty five year old would in that situation. They just don't right. have the opportunity all the time. And that's why you I'm imagining you see kids internalize, 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 and then it turns to something much more drastic when they lash out finally. Is that fair? Right. Yes. Yeah. When they, when they, maybe they have the um, the ability, the develop they've developed to a place where they can identify and express, you know, their emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, then that it will come out. Okay. Yeah. Well, Erica, thank you very much for doing this with me again. I am having a great time. I I think of you as emotional Jenny. So uh, yeah. Wonderful. I I appreciate that. Thank you. I seriously do. (laughs) Hey, huge thanks again to Erica for coming back on the show. She'll be back again. So uh, look out for her in upcoming episodes. You can find her at ericaforsyth.com. You can find the Diabetes Pro Tips, the Defining Diabetes Series, and so much more at juiceboxpodcast.com or diabetesprotip.com. And please take just a few minutes out of your day to go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox and fill out the survey. It's all they're asking you to do. Fill out the survey and your answers will help others living with type 1 diabetes. You have to have type 1 or be the caregiver of a type 1 and be a United States citizen. Head over there now, support the Juice Box podcast, support people living with type 1 diabetes. T1DExchange.org forward slash juice box. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back soon with more episodes of the Juice Box podcast.